around the uh, auditorium this morning. I noticed a lot of our regular people missing here, and I'm, we had a time change. I'm used to that sort of thing when we lose an hour in the spring, but, but not so much when we gain an hour. I mean, if anything, everybody should have been here even earlier, right? All uh, bright-eyed and, and ready to go, and uh, maybe not. Or it could be that some are, are just uh, fighting off illnesses the way that Daniel mentioned his announcements. I know that I've been dealing with that myself this week. So in any case, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, whatever difficulties with your body clock or whatever illnesses you may be fighting or, or whatever's going on in your life, whether you're a member or a visitor, that you've made it a, a priority to be here today, we're glad that you're here. And I hope the time we spend here together will be beneficial for all of us. Our text that was read a few moments ago by Joseph came out of the 119th Psalm. And Psalm 119 is both the longest chapter in all of Scripture and also, fittingly, is about Scripture itself. It's all about God's Word. Every single stanza in this, this is an acrostic in the Hebrew, Every single stanza in this is about God's word. From what Joseph read a, a few moments ago, I've, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The famous passages like I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you or, or verse 105 of this chapter, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We all know that when we sing a song that comes straight out of that passage. And I'm convinced that all of us here this morning would agree with that, with the significance of God's word, that we need to to read it and to study it and to take it into our hearts and allow it to shape us and to form us into who God would have us to be. And yet, I'm afraid that most of us would probably also agree, if we're honest, that we probably don't read it and study it the way that we ought to. More than that, and here's my primary concern this morning, I'm afraid that we simply don't read it and take it in in our public worship the way that we ought. Our reading of Scripture in the assembly is usually listed limited to just a a few verses here uh, before the sermon, and then whatever text I might happen to to cite in my message. And yet I think about what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul's left Timothy in Ephesus there to set some things in order in the church. It was a church that had problems. And one of the instructions he gives him there, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So in other words... Until Paul gets there to help line things out, one of the things that was going to help this church is to give attention, devote yourself to that public reading of Scripture. That's something that we know from historical accounts took place a great deal in the earliest days of the church. And yet it's something that we just don't do very much, at least at length. And so with all of that said, I want us to do something a little bit unusual, a little unorthodox this morning. Our entire lesson after this introduction will consist of nothing but readings from Scripture. 
put together, designed to tell a, a cohesive story, that, that old, old story that we just sang about in the song, Victory in Jesus. And each of the references will show on the slide here, but I don't want you to bother to try to look those up. Those are for your reference if you want to go in and read about these later, or I can give them to you. I don't want you to try to follow along in your Bible. I want you to just listen this morning. Take in that word of God. Realize this is God speaking to you. Take it into your heart. Allow it to wash over you and hopefully let these words shape and form you this morning. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, that is, God with us. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he strictly charged his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Then all his disciples left him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. When morning came, 
all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they'd prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Peter Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you were being saved if you hold fast to that which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're the slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So now we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By love, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. We love because he first loved us. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or useless in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's our Lord's invitation this morning, while we stand and while we sing.